Hello everyone, I hope you are well. I'm Carlos Carnicero Uravallen and I want to welcome you all to Future is Blue, a series of podcasts bringing together top experts from academia and think tanks to discuss the most pressing European economic and policy challenges of today. This is a Funkas Europe initiative and we hope we can bring new ideas for a more inspiring debate about Europe. Hello everyone, today we're here to cover inflation in the Eurozone. Are things now under control? What can policymakers do to lower inflation without risking major side effects in the overall economy? We're joined by Sander Tordoir, Senior Economist at the Center for European Reform. Hello Sander, how are you doing? Hi, great to be here with you. Oh well. You're welcome. And Sander is joining us from Berlin and now we're going to travel to Madrid where Raymond Torres is joining us. Raymond is Funkas Europe Director, as you may know by now. How are you doing, Raymond? Yes, very, very well. I'm happy to join this, this discussion again. Excellent, excellent. So let me uh, remind our audience that we're doing this is uh, a podcast. This is part of a series of podcasts we're doing together with the Center for European Reform. So let's get let's get started. And I wanted to start so um, recapping a bit a bit some basics here. Uh, recent data is suggesting that inflation in the eurozone is at its lowest level for for the last year uh, after a decline in energy energy costs and consumer prices in the euro area rose by 6.9% in the year to March and that is down from 8.5% that we had in uh, in in February. Sander, what is your first initial assessment of the situation of inflation? Can we say that a peak has been reached and we are now descending a road that only has one direction? Is that I'm being am I being too optimistic here? Maybe a little. I I would say the big problem for the euro area has been that headline inflation, as you say, has has peaked quite a while ago. But the underlying more sticky and sort of inert in inflation has still been going up until very recently. So what they call core inflation, which is inflation separated out for, for example, energy prices, uh, oil prices that are a bit more volatile. And that reflects the price of basic services and the like. And that was still going up. And so until recently, there was kind of a lot of concern still about that. Now, the very latest print shows that those metrics of sort of underlying inflation metrics may have finally peaked and started slowly going down. And that, but that's really very recent development. Thank you, Sander. Do you do you do you agree with uh, Raymond? Do you agree with Sander? So the core inflation seems to be the more challenging aspect of inflation. So we are not done yet with with this dealing with this challenge. Yes, indeed, there is there is one complication, uh, which is that uh, even though one of the the regional sources of the, the inflation period, which has been energy, has actually receded, and we see a kind of counter shock, counter or counter gas price shock now. 
and that this is of course facilitating the, uh, the slowdown in, in, in headline inflation, total inflation. There is another element which is food prices, which is still increasing very fast. Uh, frankly, you know, most for most most analysis we thought that this this would also come down uh, because in part food prices were rising because of energy. Uh, there were some specific factors last year, like bad weather and so on, uh, plus some, uh, you know, agricultural raw material, inflation and, and the like. Uh, but even discounting this, it seems that it is, it, it, it is being pretty resilient. So the fact that food prices, you know, continue to be under pressure may lead, of course, to some uh, very significant demands of recuperation of purchasing power uh, in the broader public. And, and, and therefore, this is very much inflation dynamics, and it goes down to core inflation. In any case, we see, uh, excluding energy and food, still 5.7% uh, inflation in the case of the euro area, in the case of Spain, for example, 5.1%, so very close. Uh, and it is, it is still very high for, for the ECB in particular to deciding to reduce interest rates. Now, moving on exactly to what the, the, the European sh Central Bank should do, um, should monetary policy be tightened further, as some hawks are suggesting, or this would be counterproductive? Sander, what are your thoughts on that? I think they, they will. If you look at the statements from ECB decision makers at the spring meetings of the World Bank and the IMF, it's clear that they're converging or seem to be converging on adding another 0.25% to their key interest rates. Um, and it's hard to fault them for that, given that these underlying core inflation metrics and food prices and the like are still going up or, or have tapered off their rise at a very high level. At the same time, you do, you do wonder a bit whether it's going to work or what the side effects will be of even more interest rate increases. We've had instability in the banking sector and that may actually start doing some of the work for the ECB because banks are likely to be even more careful to lend. And if you look at willingness to lend, at credit, developments in the Eurozone, it's f fairly to extremely uh, contractionary at this stage. And so that there's a lot of challenge in terms of the, the so-called lags, so the delayed effects of all the policy they've done already. Uh, versus these inflation prints, which are still coming in very, quite hot. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was thinking about the, 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 the situation we had with the banks recently, and I was wondering uh, what would happen if we keep adding, if we keep, keep uh, putting uh, interest rates up, how much damage can we do to banks and how much instability can we foresee in that scenario? Raymond, would you react to that? Yes, I think that the let's say there are two two types of effects which are possible. One has to do with the normal functioning of monetary policy, uh, in in the sense that uh, you you expect and it is already happening that that increase increased interest rate affects uh, credit demand and through the credit channel, little by little it has a repercussion uh, in terms of the overall uh, uh, activity. But of course, it reduces, you know, it slows down inflation, it slows down consumption, and so on. So this is the normal functioning of, uh, of monetary policy. You would, you would expect something like that, which is already happening. 
But what, what, uh, there is a second type of effect, which is much more uncertain and difficult to apprehend and to, 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 to in a way, to, to measure, to quantify. It has to do with the impact, the specific impact on the financial system. And we saw, Sandra uh, already mentioned, some repercussions in the case of the U.S., uh, credit suisse here in Europe, and, and uh, there, are, there, is some, there is certainly some turbulence. But uh, uh, here some people say that this is, un, this is very specific, these are specific events, specific situations. I rather think that this is, there are some systemic elements as well. And this is why monetary policy has to be very careful, uh, because even though the, the first impact, which is the traditional, the conventional impact on credit, uh, and uh, uh, is, 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 is ongoing and is more or less as expected. The impact on the financial system is is, uh, is very uncertain and subject to uh, interpretation. We don't have enough evidence. There are lots of things that can happen uh, and can be raised. So it, that, that that tells me that probably central banks, in particular the ECB, will have to be doubly cautious when increasing interest rates. And if anything. In principle, it would err on the cautious side in, in the sense of increasing interest rate a bit less than would have been the case otherwise. Yeah, uh, Raymond, this is a good point because I was wondering, I mean, there are some trends that are happening and I, I'm not sure that those trends can be uh, corrected with, um, ri with rises in interest rates. And recently, the European Central Bank president, uh, Christine Lagarde, uh, warned about the risk of a Tit for tat dynamic where companies and workers are pushing up uh, margins and wages, and and this is adding pressure on prices, as everyone is trying to avoid the heat from from higher inflation. Um, what are your thoughts on what are your thoughts on this reflection from the the, the president of the central bank, Sander? Any any comments to that? I, I find it it's a bit of an unbalanced story. So so there's increasing evidence that. Part of the inflation dynamic we've been describing is basically price gouging by firms. So they, they're using the fact that prices are more loose now and updatable more quickly than they used to be pre-pandemic and using that to actually increase margins. And there's quite a lot of evidence coming out that shows that. Now, the ECB cannot really do so much about that directly. Um, maybe regulators can, I'm not sure. Certainly, competition authorities could look at it uh, if it's driven by too much market power by some companies. Um, but then to say that, to put again the blame on workers that they might ask for more wages, I find com in a communication sense is unbalanced because there are, no, there are no real evidence of wage price spirals. Even the IMF in its spring uh, communication said that they don't see any risk of price spirals uh, at this stage. So the real issue here is, is firms driving up margins too much and more than they should. The question is, does that over time normalize again? Is this a sort of one-off effect that tapers off or is it, does it have staying power? But again, workers, workers in my view shouldn't necessarily uh, get pointed at, pointed at as the driving force behind that. Any, would you like to react to, to that, Raymond? Well, I completely agree with this observation because when we see certainly what has happened so far, uh, we see a wage moderation even in countries which have uh, low unemployment like Germany and the Netherlands and so on. 
And uh, it's certainly, we, we don't, you know, it, it, it's not the driver. I mean, if you look at inflation from the cost side, it, 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 wages do not seem to be a driver of, of inflation. Instead, indeed, there is, uh, there is a much more dynamism in terms of pro, uh, profit and, 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 and therefore prices as such. And, you know, but of course, uh, through time, if this continues, I mean, of course, there will be more reivindication for some recuperations, purchasing power, which is only logical and normal. And, uh, and therefore, it, it may perpetuate inflation more than otherwise. So it's very important that, uh, I mean, as Sander said, I mean, the, the question will be, you know, what happens with this profit push? Uh, why is it possible, in a way? Is it because uh, of there is too much demand, in which case it can only justify the increase in interest rate? Or is it because it's a situation, as pointed out by the BIS, for example, where in the context of high inflation, some firms take advantage of this kind of noise that all prices are increasing, increasing their own price in this context of inflation. And this, this may again perpetuate the, the picture with the bias towards um, profits with the wages. So overall, I think this, this is a, 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 a critical issue. I think it would require uh, competition vigilance, especially in the services sector, which are less exposed to international competition, uh, and uh, in, in order to avoid a situation where, indeed, profits continue to increase without necessarily actually serving to increase investment. Uh, and, and therefore, it's not necessarily a good thing even from the point of view of the economy. Thanks, Raymond. I, I know this is risky, but I, I li- I'd like to have you both forecast a bit what, what do you expect to happen over the next months and how do you expect the Eurozone to end this uh, this year, 2023? What are your forecasts for inflation and interest rates? Uh, would you take the risk of sharing with us what you may think that, that will happen over the next few months? Sander, would you like to start? Right. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of uncertainty on this, but I can give you a sense of where I think things would go. I think the inflation decline that you started this this uh, conversation with, go- going from eight nine to six five, is probably the easy part of the run. I think it's going to be get more difficult to go from five to two. And so I don't really expect that that would happen by the end of this year. Uh, I do think we've seen the peak also in these core metrics. And so it will be a slow slug down. Maybe we end, uh, you know, somewhere in the four range at the end of the year. I, I don't know. But I don't think uh, the two will be in, in, in vision. That hinges in part on whether there is going to be a recession based on all these lags, lag defects that we discussed based on the global environment. And there there was a really fascinating chart from uh, Unicredit, an Italian uh, bank, which showed that the financing cost of non-financial corporates in Europe has not yet been impacted at all by all the interest rate increases. It's only starting now because most of their debt is basically still outstanding and they didn't have to reissue. And so, in a sense, the question is, how hard will the hammer hit with a, a year's delay, right? And if that comes down harder, then inflation could com- come down quickly. But the cost will be uh, most, if that happens, it, it will most likely be because of a recession. Thanks, Sander. So the easy part was from 
for, for, well, more more or less nine to six, going from nine percent to six percent inflation. Now, the road to the targeted uh, two three percent is going to be much more challenging. Raymond, any thoughts on what's coming next over the next few months when it comes to inflation, interest rates? Well, I mean, within the overall assessment of standard, which I tend to uh, agree, and for example, in the case of Spain, uh, there is an estimate whereby only thirty percent or the impact of the increase in interest uh, of interest rates on households has been uh, already transmitted to households because, you know, there is a lot of, in a way, pass-through which has to happen this year. So 70% remains. Uh, uh, all this leads me to think, I mean, Sandor mentioned before inflation, the inflation projection, we, we tend to think that uh, because of this, uh, you know, the realization that, that lacks in normally, normal monetary policy impact are there uh, on the part of ECB and realization on the part of ECB also of the, uh, of the financial situation, the risk to financial stability, probably um, the increase in interest rates will, you know, we estimate that maybe there will be a further increase in three stages uh, of around 75 percentage points, not, not further, so maybe less than uh, some would have hoped but the interest rates will, see, will stay higher a bit for, for longer. So, in a way, less of an increase, but uh, it, will, it will take longer later on for uh, the ECB to reduce interest rates. And so we have a situation where, uh, you know, inflation is, may come down, but, you know, it will be hard, especially to bring it finally to 2%. And, and therefore, as a result, interest rates will be higher than we thought but for longer. So I'm not sure that the market has already discounted this, but it is certainly a scenario that we have in mind. I, I agree with that. I, that's also my reading of uh, how things would evolve further, further forward, unless something actually breaks in the financial sector, then you're in a different world. Well, let's hope that doesn't happen. And uh, I want to thank you both for sharing so much, so many key insights in uh, less than 20 minutes uh, on inflation and interest rates. I think it was very useful. Um, so let me remind uh, all of you that we've been joined by Sander Tordoir, who's Senior Economist at the Center for European Reform. Thanks a lot, Sander. Thanks for having me. And let me thank as well Raymond Torres, Funka's Europe Director. Thanks, Raymond. Thanks for the good discussion. Thank you all for joining. This was all for now. We will come back soon with more exciting speakers on Europe's economic and policy-related key debates. Future is Blue is a Funcas Europe initiative. I'm Carlos Carnicero Ravallem, and if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to recommend it to others and share it on social media. Thank you all, and stay well.